Have you ever had a nightmare neighbor? You know, a neighbor from hell? You know what I'm talking about. If so, we want to hear about it in our brand new podcast, Nightmare Neighbors. That's right. We got another one in the works. But we need your stories first. Go to NightmareNeighbors.com and send in your Nightmare Neighbor story. Or call in toll-free 888-68-CRAZY. 888-68-CRAZY. And share your Nightmare Neighbor story with us. And we may talk about it and use it on a future episode of the Nightmare Neighbors podcast coming very soon. Maybe they're your current neighbors. Maybe they were a neighbor from years gone by. Now is the chance to tell your story anonymously. Go to NightmareNeighbors.com to share your Nightmare Neighbors story with us. Or call 888-68-CRAZY. And be part of the brand new Nightmare Neighbors podcast. Today on Real Ghost Stories Online, a young family finds that they are not alone in their bedroom late at night as a dark shadow man in a hat shows up to terrify them. That is today on Real Ghost Stories Online. Welcome to Real Ghost Stories Online. Call in your real ghost story now at 855-853-4802 or write in at realghoststoriesonline.com. You are about to enter the world of the unknown and quite possibly the undead. This is Real Ghost Stories Online. That it is. 855-853-4802 is our phone number here at Real Ghost Stories Online to show your real ghost stories with us. Write in at realghoststoriesonline.com. If you have an audio file of your story that you recorded on your device, you can always email it to me. Send it to Tony, T-O-N-Y, at realghoststoriesonline.com. And, of course, the big thing that keeps our program on the air is your support. Without it, this show would not exist. That's by being an extra podcast person, an EPP. You sign up for that at ghostpodcast.com or through patreon.com slash real ghost stories. In exchange for your support at $5 a month, you get access to all of our back archive of EPP bonus episodes that were not ever released to the public. They are exclusive to EPPs, more than 300 of those there for you to binge away on. You also get access to our shows in advance of their release to the public by weeks all commercial free. You get our ebook, our audio book, that right there, a $30 value, all for five bucks a month when you sign up at ghostpodcast.com or patreon.com slash real ghost stories. That's what supports the program and keeps it on the air. That was dramatic. I didn't mean to hit that one, but hey, we're in a new studio, so I have an excuse. Today. <laughs> I pressed the wrong button. Well, I, I think like everything is in the reverse order of where I used to have it. Mm-hmm. So what I, I used to do, this is going to sound horrible, what I used to do with my right hand and now I do with my left hand. Oh, God. <laughs> okay. But it is kind of true when yeah. it comes to where I'm, the mouse that I'm using and all that. Now that made it sound even worse. It, it brought up like horrible like 90s references to Richard Gere or something with oh. the mouse that I... I'm done. That was a uh, an urban legend, I mm-hmm. believe, back in the 90s. Yeah. All sorts of weird stuff that has come up with back then. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
Never, okay. never heard him talk about that in an interview. Uh, anyway, it's uh, Tony and Jenny Bruski joining you once again for Real Ghost Stories Online. And yes, we are in a new studio. Uh, how many times have we said this now in the show? We're in a new studio. Um, uh, with a, an original. So that was just, you know, it was the studio. This is the fourth studio. Okay. There you go. Fourth studio is the at charm. Fourth, fourth <laughs> studio out of three houses. Yep. Yeah. So, uh, and I'm I'm far more moved into this one than I was the last one. You actually put down roots here. You you seem to have made it your own, and uh, it takes you a while to unpack and get all your stuff where you want it. But you did that pretty quick here. Just a few more things left to hook up, just some stereo equipment. But um, things are where they're supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Art's up on the wall. The logos are up on the wall. It's ready to go. Yeah. Yeah. The last uh, studio, I got it ready. And then I think a week after we decided to leave. Yeah. So I feel pretty good about this. Mm-hmm. I like looking out the window and I don't see the guy jogging in the man bro. No. I, I sometimes see cows and horses over that way and they bale hay over there every now and then. Yeah. So I'm good. Uh-huh. I'm good. No more. Uh, actually, I, li- I might literally have squirrel moments where it is a squirrel not a crazy human being. (laughs) So I'm excited about that. Uh, 855-853-4802 is our phone number here at Real Ghost Stories Online to share your real ghost stories with us. Let's go to our first story today. It says, back in February 2010, my husband and I had just moved into uh, base housing in uh, Nellis Air Force Base and were expecting our first child. Uh, Nellis Air Force Base was just starting to renovate the family housing and other family services on base. The housing we had moved into, I believe, was built around 96 or 97. However, this was considerably older base housing due to the back uh, of uh, the community being comprised of houses built back in the 60s. These houses were set for demolition but still had tenants when we first moved in. Many were in transition to move to other bases and stayed in those houses during processing called the TLF, Temporary Living Facility, a temporary place to stay while the military member went through a series of steps required to transfer bases. My neighbor, who had lived there a few uh, years longer, had told me of some of the stories about those houses at the end of the block. It was a rumor a Marine had lived there with his pregnant wife and dog years earlier and upon coming back from deployment, suffered from PTSD. One night he snapped and murdered his wife and killed his dog before, t- before turning the gun on himself. Now, of course, I took this rumor with a grain of salt, but loosely attempted to dig up any information I could relating to a murder-suicide, but found nothing. A few months had gone by and we were settling into our house nicely while preparing for our new baby. I was coming to the end of my second trimester and growing more and more anxious. I ended up growing uh, into early labor and was rushed to the hospital where they were able to delay delivery. Afterward, I was put on a strict bed rest for the remaining duration of my pregnancy. During that time, I was staying home and not allowed to work. My husband was in security forces and worked 12 to 14 hour days, which left me alone most of the time. This is where our story begins. And the first day to our routine was normal, but then the dreams came, or better yet, the nightmares. At night, I would have horrible, vivid nightmares, usually in the first person and ending with me committing horrible, violent acts towards family members. I'd wake up in the middle of the night, shaking in cold sweats, unable to go back to sleep. I'd lay there some nights just staring at the walls, trying to make sense of these nightmares. One of those nights, I'd woken up from a nightmare and noticed a strange green light shining up from the floor onto our bedroom door. As I looked at the green light, trying to figure out where it was coming from, a silhouette emerged in the shape of a tall man. 
He had broad shoulders, and I could distinctly make out the form of a hat. It was in shapes like a Canadian trooper or drill sergeant. It stayed there for a while without moving, and I remember this overwhelming sense of fear wash over me. It was that type of fear that looms over you when you anticipate something bad is going to happen. At some point, I finally fell back asleep. Next morning, I woke up remembering what happened the night before and started looking under the bed and around the room trying to find out where the green light could have come from. Under the bed, we had our Wi-Fi router, which had a little green indicator light. I thought it could have come from there and placed my finger in front of it, slowly moving it away to test how far it would cast a light, but only got about an inch away from it before the light faded. After not finding anything that could have produced the lights, I decided to just forget it and brush it off as my imagination, being in a half-asleep state. Another week or so went by with no issues until one day while my husband was at work, I had decided to have an afternoon nap. I was exhausted from cleaning that morning and fell asleep the moment my head hit the pillow. That is when I heard a voice, clear as day, whisper, hey, into my ear. At first, I thought it was my husband was home for lunch and kind of opened one eye to let him know I was kind of coherent. I could sort of make out the shape of someone standing next to the bed and mumbling. As I th said, I thought it was my husband and really did not pay much attention. I slipped back into sleep for the moment, but then remembered I had to tell him something, so I woke up and called his name since no one was in the room, but got an answer. Thinking he just did not hear, being at the other end of the house in the kitchen, I called for him louder and still no response. Annoyed at this point, I got out of bed to go into the kitchen, and as I walked past the dining room, I froze. My eight-piece dining room set was in complete disarray. Chairs were pulled out all over the room. One chair was even turned all the way around with its back against the table. First, I thought this was a joke put on by my husband before going back to work. I called him fuming and asked why he was messing with me like that. Much to his confusion, he had no idea what I was talking about and went on to remind me that I had taken him to work that morning, leaving me with the only means of transportation. Terrified that someone had broken into the house, I went through then systematically checked all the doors and windows, finding all of them secured and locked. I'd gone back to the bedroom to grab my pillow and blankets to try and calm down on the couch. I was grabbing my blankets and I heard a click behind me. Turned around just in time to see the door slowly start to close. In a panic, I threw the door open and rushed to the living room where I stayed until my husband came home. This was a start of terror that continued for over a year. You're more than welcome to contact me to hear more about the events that took place. We'd love to hear them, so you're more than welcome to share them with us, write in more or call in more uh, to, uh, to have those events shared with us. I think it was the guy that killed his wife, and he's still stuck there. Yeah. She's not, but he is. And, and we hear that a lot when people take their own life, that they are stuck where they were. Mm -hmm. And so that makes... To me, it makes perfect sense that that's him. It does. I could uh, very well see that being the case. Is that something where if that happens, because I know like suicides don't get published in like papers and things of that nature, unless it's like a, a famous person or yeah. something of note. Um, I would imagine, but I mean, that being a murder, that would have some more documentation to it that you'd think you'd be able to find it if this happened mm -hmm. in the 90s. Yeah. You know, or does that sort of thing kind of get you know, I mean, I suppose you try and brush it under the covers as much as you can, but there's only so much brushing you can do with public record. Well, and, you know, I don't know much about um, how things are handled on military properties, mm -hmm. but maybe, you know, there's less publicized um, when it happens on a base. Mm -hmm. Now, I, uh, I agree. 
I think that that um, is very, uh, very true. Sorry, replying to someone. It's okay. Who's buying a wreath from us? <laughs> wreath seller, which is kind of funny. Oh my god, you really are the wreath seller. I just had a full three sixty <laughs> happen. Um, Your mom's gonna love that. It's funny because um, <laughs> I the the one of the earliest tapes that I have of me on the air, or my, my fake air, me playing radio station. It's this little tiny snippet. Uh, of me going, Tony, Bruski, Weathsella, caller five, wins a Weath. In my way of speaking of the age yeah, of three. A little and speech impediment. A little there. speech impediment, rocking that. Um, but it's uh, it's me playing radio station, and the contest was to win a free wreath. Mm-hmm. Um, and as we've moved into this new place, we're going through our stuff, and we're putting a lot of stuff up on Facebook and Craigslist and all that to resell it. And we have some wreaths yeah. that uh, that we're selling. So I literally, someone was just asking, is the road that you're on this road? Mm-hmm. And so I said yes, and I'm thinking, there we go. I'm, I'm finally the wreath seller on the air, <laughs> legitimately. <laughs> What is also funny about this new office is I have pretty much my original studio setup directly behind me. Uh-huh. This was this the dresser that's behind my desk now and the shelf that's above that dresser there. This was the original, well, one of the original, probably not the original, but uh, the one that I played with the most with a karaoke machine and a microphone for many a years playing kid radio. It was set up on this dresser. And that was right above it. So my original studio set up from my bedroom when Aww. I was playing it at a radio station at home in my bedroom. That tiny Tony. Is right there and is now part of my real studio. With your little short shorts and your knee socks with the stripes. Yep. There I was playing the, the best of Celine Dion and Michael Bolton. You need to put up John a picture Sakana. of you at that age because you you were so cute. <laughs> you were the cutest little kid. I think my mom has those those pictures, but... Yeah, we need to share one of those so they can have this mental image of you playing radio with your little striped knee socks and your little 80s sport shorts. I have one of the original microphones up there. Mm-hmm. I, I've, I have my very first microphone, which I got when I was two. Your CBS sports one? Yeah, that one connected to like a, a AM radio. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I don't know if it, I, I've tried to get it to work over the years. I don't think it does anymore. But um, But I have a lot of my stuff. Uh, of radio things over the years, Mike Flags and all that. But I just, I, I wasn't even intentionally doing it. It was just when I was putting the uh, equipment together or the, the furniture together in the studio, I changed out what I had behind me uh, to this dresser. And I thought, oh, I like that. This dresser has been my, dre- my, my, my dresser as a child mm-hmm. my whole life. And it's been in a closet. And I thought this would be great right behind the desk. I could store a lot of stuff in it. And I thought, well, this is funny. This is my original studio right there. It just feels right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So there you go. That's the original, um, (laughs) the original real ghost stories online studio from 30 years ago. Okay. Kind of funny. Mm -hmm. It all comes back and I'm back playing radio station in a bedroom in my house. Selling wreaths. Selling wreaths. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. I can check all the boxes now. Uh, 855-853-4802 is our phone number at Real Ghost Stories Online to share your real ghost stories with us. I brought back another oldie but a goodie for our desk, Silly Putty. We used to have this on our our studio desk 
Uh, I think it was in Wichita. It was in Wichita, but I think there's two. um, No, it's all in this one. It's just a giant. It barely fits into this one thing of silly putty. Yeah, that's more than one. Yeah. uh, Whatever you would call it of silly putty. Egg. Yeah. Yeah, here it is. More than one portion. Why is it all in one egg? Where are the other eggs? That's the only egg we have. I don't know. We were consolidating silly putty. But it's great to to fidget with during the show. It's great to (laughs) <laughs> enjoy oh it's so yeah you gotta you gotta work it it no this is not the right texture this is not how silly putty is supposed to be you gotta work the putty no work the putty no this is this is wrong we need new silly putty no you gotta work it you gotta put your thing down flip it and reverse it no <laughs> no this this Dar-da-da-da-da-da. is this is way too sticky this is i'll not, work it this is not the right texture if you work it, it's just going to get stickier. Let me work the putty. It's like gum. Let me work the putty. It's gross. It's not right. It'll be fine. Next story. <laughs> it is kind of sticky. My latest submission requires a bit of a backstory, so please bear with me. Almost three years ago, now I got the notion to release adult pheasants at my property in Wisconsin to combat the growing tick population. Side note, so far, this plan has been successful. Hey, we should get pheasants. We should. I found a game farm that was willing to sell me 10 birds, one male, nine females. The Saturday of Easter weekend was when we were scheduled for me to pick up the birds. I hadn't thought much about transportation. The game farm told me the birds would be in sacks. So I thought I could just pop them in the back seat of my Kia hatchback. <laughs> And all would be well for a two and a half hour drive to my farm. <laughs> Ten pheasants in the back of a Kia hatchback. It sounds like a Christmas song almost. <laughs> I guess it's an Easter tune. Uh, I enlisted the help of a friend for the com- uh, for the company, but also to handle the transaction because I'm deathly afraid of taxidermy and knew there would be plenty of that in the office at the game farm. I have a sick sense about these things, so I sent my friend into the office with my check, and we waited in the parking lot while an employee went to fetch the bag of birds. He looked dubious when I opened the back door of my car and motioned for him to put the birds in there, but he did anyway. I had a dog seat cover on the seat and figured that would take care of any accidents the birds might have during the drive. On that front, I was proven wrong. The birds were stressed, understandably, and managed to fling their poo all over the back of the front seats and onto the side panels of the back seat. It smelled horrific, and we had to drive with the windows cracked despite the cold and sleet that was falling. The hens also emitted a hissing sound, which terrified us, <laughs> even though they were secure in their sacks. It sounded primeval. Uh... Once we uh, reached the farm, we wasted no time in taking the birds out of the car. We kept them in the sacks until we reached the release location. And then bag by bag, we started to unleash the birds. Some of the hens only went a few feet from us and we had to flush them further afield so they would not be so close to us and uh, so close to open where they were sure to get picked off by a predator. Once all the birds were tucked into the tall grass to recover from their ordeal, we headed back to the car. My friend hefted one of her bags and her brow furrowed. She looked in, and much to our surprise, there were three eggs in the sack, two of which had already been cracked by the struggling hens, and so we discarded them in the woods. The third, however, was perfectly intact. Being as soft-hearted towards animals as I am, I could not in good conscience throw the egg away, as there was a chance it was fertile. My friend thought I was crazy, and I admit I probably was, but I insisted on keeping the egg. I determined I would make make a DIY incubator, and try to hatch the egg. In the meantime, we still had an hour and a half drive 
plus however long it would take me to assemble an incubator during which I had to keep an egg warm. I kept it in my hoodie pocket the whole drive, careful not to break it, but also keeping it close to me for warmth. After dropping my friend off, I went to the local farm and outdoor store to get supplies. I found instructions for a DIY incubator online and bought what I needed, keeping the eggy close to me. Fast forward several weeks, and after much despair over the severe fluctuations of temperature and humidity in my incubator, the egg hatched. I was now mom to a pheasant chick. Unlike baby songbirds, pheasant chicks are quite independent. There was no shoveling chewed up food into her mouth for her. She ate on her own and was very mobile. I had initially thought to release her with her parents when she was old enough, but one day she stuck her head in my dog's mouth and that quickly put the kibosh on the release plan. She didn't have the common sense to survive in the wild. I kept her in the finished basement and at night when I was home, she had free range as long as my rabbits, uh, long as, uh, along with my rabbits and dog. Despite being hand-reared, she was not a tame bird. She hated being touched unless she was the one doing the touching and had her own mind about how things should be done. She fell in love with our gas fireplace, often cooling uh, to it and or cooing to it and snuggling up to the grate when it was on. She loved one rabbit uh, like a big sister, but oddly hated the other one hissing and trumpeting at her before attacking. She was smart, perhaps too smart for her own good. She could fly, but she rarely attempted it because pheasants are not graceful flyers. And in the confines of the basement, she'd hit things or land in a trash can. She knew her name, Darby, and would come when she was called to dinner. She was my world, my baby girl, the closest thing to a child I will ever have. One night before bed, she started acting very strangely. She was unable to walk in a straight line. Instead of spinning in circles, I knew that when something was wrong, but there was nothing I could do to help her. Even our exotic vet would not treat a pheasant. I just prayed that she would improve the next day. The following morning was much worse. I called into work, knowing my baby was going to die and feeling that it would soon happen. I held her all day, never once leaving her side. She hung on through that weekend before finally mercifully dying. I buried her in the backyard. Fast forward again several months, and I moved on to my parents' house where I kept Darby. I was in my own house with the bunnies and dog. For months, Darby's death had eaten away at me. I was always questioning if there was not something I could have done to help her get better. I missed her so much. She was on my mind constantly. I would cry myself to sleep at nights mourning her. One night I was working at my computer doing nothing, and for once, thoughts of Darby were not haunting me. Out of the blue, my dog, Keatley, came over, whining insistently. He had just been out and been fed, so I knew he did not want either of those things. I turned to give him some attention, ruffling my hands in the fur on his neck when something caught my eye. At first, I thought he had a bug or something on him, so I drew back, but then I realized what it was. It was one of Darby's feathers. I plucked it out of his fur and just stared at it. Darby had never been in this house. I had no idea where the feather had come from. I took it as a sign that my baby girl, she was on the other side and doing fine and that I should stop kicking myself over her death. I kept the feather by my computer as a reminder that she is all right and wants me to be happy. Someday I hope to see her again. There you go. You had just asked the other day if, you know, we have ghost stories about pets like dogs and cats and things, but never about birds. There's a bird one. Goes back to my original KFC theory. Uh, what is that? Haunted KFCs by birds. Remember we I talked think, about that a long time ago. I think it depends on the connection. So this bird was obviously extremely loved mm -hmm. and probably it loved, you know, as much <clears throat> as, as a pheasant can. And so I think that that is what makes all the difference 
as to why it can be a ghost. See, you've got silly putty all up in your finger and your ring, and it's not normal silly putty anymore. It's not. It's not. You're it's right. messed up. You're right. I told you. You work it. No, I'm not touching that. That's rancid silly putty. Rancid silly putty. Who would have thought it could go bad? I don't know. <laughs> I'm still waiting for a KFC. Maybe that's why there's so many closed down KFCs. You drive around. When you see like restaurants, there's like certain restaurants you can drive by and go, oh, that was a KFC. Maybe there's so many that were like haunted as shit because it's like every night they're closing down and all they hear is like the sounds of chickens. You I disagree. <laughs> I don't know. You know, what disturbs me is right now I'm going through and looking, you know, kind of getting ideas on what we're going to have here at the farm. And there's a, a Facebook page where it's rabbits, you know, and you go through and you see all these cute bunnies and some bunnies are actually raised for meat and some mm -hmm. are raised for pets and then yeah. and then you'll have the random post where it's just a plastic bag with meat in it rabbit <laughs> meat and I'm just like why do you have to put that on there that's just I get people eat rabbits but that's just a little graphic rabbits for pets or meat yeah the famous sign kudos to anyone who knows what I'm referring to right now <laughs> It was in uh, Michael Moore's uh, Waiting for... No, not Waiting for Guffman. That wasn't Michael Moore. No. Uh, Roger and Me. Uh-huh. Uh, where he goes and visits Flint. And this was filmed in the, I think, late 80s, early 90s. Um, and he was exploring Flint. And uh, just in town, big old sign, rabbits for pets or meat. Um, and at the time, it was kind of disturbing. But, you know, you see more and more of that now. We do but, in this area. And, sure. I, and I don't judge. That's, that's sure. you know, to each their own. But I don't care to see the bag of the already skinned rabbit. Yeah. That that is gross. That's a little much. Because I'm looking for pet rabbits. I'm not looking for meat You're rabbits. not looking for meat rabbits? <laughs> no. <laughs> well, they do sell the type now. Um, I believe Shroot Farms is offering <laughs> the type that you can actually keep as a pet and get meat off of it while it is alive. Yeah. Regenerates so so uh yeah 855-853-4802 is our phone number i had to think of the phone number for a moment i have a chalkboard up over there to put you them up now. not put the numbers up yet i don't know i don't know where i can find a piece of chalk i do in the kitchen oh okay well, there you go uh 855-853-4802 is our phone number at real ghost stories online let's hear a call hi hey uh tony this is uh tom i called about a week ago or so and told you the story uh I'm in Virginia. I had a haunting in my place, um, and I thought it had to do with a, a gold button, Civil War button I had found uh, near a little battlefield that uh, was near my place. And um, that was back in 2002 or so. And I really didn't have any other activity until about 2013. And I was working uh, midnight shifts, kind of moonlighting on the weekends at a private school uh, from midnight to eight. <clears throat> and um, what we would do, what my position was, is I, I'd check cars as they came in, made sure people weren't coming on that weren't supposed to come on. So I'd sat in this little hut, which was in the beginning of the driveway to the school. And I did that for eight hours. And some nights you'd have maybe two or three people drive through. It was a really boring, but cushion job, but um, 
I had been there about six years and hadn't, hadn't experienced anything paranormal. And then one night during my relief, I used to, a guy used to relieve me and I'd go up and take a few uh, winks in, in the security office, which was in a big building and nobody else would have been in there. It was about four in the morning when I'd do this. So one night after being there about six years, it was about five degrees outside. It was in February, it was freezing. And uh, I went up there and did my normal break and went in the office, closed the door, sat in the chair, and I immediately felt something was different. And the there's a there's a 25 watt little lamp on the desk behind me as I sat down, and that thing started flickering on and off, and didn't go completely out, but was flickering. So the hairs on my arms stood up, and I was I just knew something was different. This is after being there for six years. I've never felt anything like this, and um, I. It felt so different, I started talking. And I said, is there anyone here in this room? And you know, didn't get an answer. A couple minutes went by, and I continued, you know, is it, is it some, are you someone who lived here on the, this property or worked at this building? So after a few minutes, the power completely went out in the building. And, you know, I'm kind of rectifying it in my head, saying, um, it's due to the cold, you know, the electricity's gone down on the campus. So I looked out the window, but every other building was lit up. I mean, it had at least a light on it, you know, the corner building. And I'm like, damn, it's just this building, you know. So um, it just got really creepy. And uh, I looked at the bottom of the door leading out to the hallway, which was lit. And... I saw something go by like either a woman's long dress that went all the way down to the floor or a man in a long trench coat. <clears throat> and it went back and forth about two or three times. And it scared the crap out of me. And I'm like, okay. And I said, listen, if you want me out of here, um, I'll do that. But you have to turn on the lights. And before I got it out of my mouth, the light came back on. And I hauled ass out of there <laughs> faster than uh, my feet could take me. But the next week was the first week I started doing paranormal investigation, and I've done it ever since. And I brought a camera and, and a voice recorder, and I set the camera outside the door on this table that faced the door and went in the office again. I didn't. I was in there about 20 minutes. I didn't catch anything in the office, but when I came back out to get the camera, um, you know, I picked up the camera, went down the stairs, and of course I didn't play anything until I got home. When I played it back, um, as I picked up the camera, you heard, a, you could hear a woman kind of going, mm, like I bumped into her or something. <laughs> it was the strangest thing, and I've got this on tape. And then as I turned to go down the stairs, I got my first ever real voice EVP and it was a woman that said I hear you and just this real kind of far away like lost voice it was almost sad in a way and she just said I hear you and since then I, I worked another like six years there and got a ton of EVPs and 
uh, orbs and stuff. I didn't. I, I never saw anything visually, uh, except in one recording. I think there's like I do see something up in the ceiling near fan that looks like a little shadow moving across the ceiling. But that was about it. And but I've since then, you know, whenever I get a chance, go out and do uh, some paranormal investigations and. I've got one 20-minute tape from a graveyard nearby that's probably got 20 to 25 different voices on it. It's the craziest thing I've ever taped, and uh, maybe someday I'll, I'll, I'll tell you that story. All right, thanks a lot, man. I love your show. Just started listening to it, and I'm addicted. So take care. Thanks for sharing your uh, experiences with us. If you started inadvertently catching things on tape you know accidentally you're you know like taping the girls doing something or a animal doing something and all of a sudden you hear a voice on it um and you go well that must be paranormal because you can't explain it would it make you want to do more of that of of trying to to have make recreate that have that happen again find more experiences like that or would that make you like okay i'm done taping shit i think for me personally i'd be done yeah um kudos to him though for that spurring that passion in him to continue that and to you know make that into you know something he does on a regular basis i think that's great but for the rest of his chicken shits there's no way (laughs) (laughs) it goes one way or the other it either it it you know it, it sparks the interest or it um it 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 gives you enough confirmation and you're like oh i'm good you yeah, know. I mean, it's like, okay, I've seen it. I believe it. Yeah. I'm done. Yeah. yeah. Thank you for sharing uh, that experience with us. And we would love to hear more about the, uh, the 30, 40 voices in the graveyard. That would be, uh, that'd be very interesting. Uh, 855-853-4802 is our phone over here at Real Ghost Stories Online to share your real ghost stories with us. Be sure to press subscribe, whatever platform it is you listen to us on so you don't miss any episode. And if you like the show, keep us on the air. Become an extra podcast person, an EPP that's a supporter of the show. You sign up to do that at ghostpodcast.com or patreon.com slash real ghost stories. Until next time for Jenny, I'm Tony. Thanks for listening to Real Ghost Stories Online. Hope everybody is doing their best right now as we're going through this crazy time in our world. I'm Tony Bruski, host of Real Ghost Stories Online. Wanted to invite you and let you know about our other brand new podcast that we just launched, Help Kill the Time for You. It's called The Dark Side of Wikipedia. It's about true crime and dark history. We dive into some of the strangest, most disturbed minds and experiences from our history and examine their story, their Wikipedia entry, and then discuss the cases, the individuals, and the psychology of the events as we go through each and every story. Some of our first episodes include Ed Gein, the BTK killer, the new London school explosion, Amityville murders, Richard Speck, Amelia Dyer, the General Slocum disaster, Jeffrey Dahmer, and more. New episodes every single week. Check out Dark Side of Wikipedia. Search it. Subscribe wherever you download podcasts, including Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and more. 
It's available now with new episodes every single week. Dark Side of Wikipedia. Search and subscribe today and stay safe out there. Little did I know that when I joined Kaiser Permanente that it would be on my top 10 list for what has made this year great. I can see my physician. I can be referred to the lab. I can then be referred to the pharmacy all in the same building. You, you've got it all. I mean, it's it's quality of care. It's compassion of care. It's convenience of care. It's true. Every medical case is unique. Kaiser Foundation Health Plan of the Mid-Atlantic States, 2101 East Jefferson Street, Rockville, Maryland, 20852.